welcome to Baptist Perspective with Jimmy Barber. Whether you're listening while driving home from work, sitting with a hot cup of coffee, or making dinner, we hope this podcast will be thought-provoking and edifying. Now, here with today's episode is Jimmy Barber. In previous studies, we found that the idea of civil government seeking to enforce religion on society is a pagan philosophy as witnessed in the writings of Plato. This thinking was adopted by the Catholics in the writings of Augustine and others of his day. When the Emperor Constantine joined the Catholic religion to the Roman government, this juggernaut sought to eradicate all those who refused to bow to Caesar and deny their allegiance to Jesus Christ. The conscience of the Christian is devoted to Christ as his Lord and Master and he is not to allow any other person or thing to occupy that throne. When the Protestant Reformation took place, they likewise adopted the beliefs of Rome and sought to stamp out all who would not bow to their tyrannical practices. At first, reformers such as Martin Luther proclaimed the truth of liberty of conscience but eventually denied this tenet and persecuted those who would not bow to the Reformed ideology. Ulrich Zwingli, John Calvin, and all who accepted the Reformed practice of civil government overruling religion sought to eliminate anyone who would not bow to their beliefs and practices. All who opposed them were generally classified as Anabaptists. Other names were also ascribed to them, but the broad overall term was that of Anabaptist. While the term Anabaptist was used to designate all who opposed the Reformers uh, and Catholics that practiced the union of civil government to religion, there were a people that were classified by their enemies as Anabaptists that did not wish to be classified as such. They preferred to be called simply Baptist. In fact, the 1646 London Baptist Confession of Faith was composed by seven congregations of Christ in London, which are commonly, but unjustly, called Anabaptist. There were various reasons as to why they did not want to be classified as such but that is not our objective at this time. We simply desire to note that Baptists have ever opposed the idea that civil government is to rule over or interfere with the congregation of God. In fact, scripturally speaking, there is no human authority higher than the assembly of Christ. The concept of a denomination or any organization as a ruling body over congregations is totally foreign to the Word of God. The head or authority over each God-ordained congregation is the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, a congregation may join another congregation or congregations for a common cause, or a congregation may invite a congregation or other congregations or minister or ministers to assist them in a matter, but the final say or authority is the membership of the congregation. 
Likewise, parachurch organizations are not found in the Bible. Such organizations are man-made and are to be avoided by the house of God. Such organizations are of modern origin. While I digress somewhat, it is important to know that not only civil government has no authority over or within the congregation of the Lord, but no other entity does either. Additionally, it is important to know that no assembly of Christ should submit itself to civil government by signing itself up under a 501c3 nonprofit status with the government for governmental benefits. Nor should congregations or religious institutions appeal to civil government to maintain or advance the commission given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Oddly, while the Baptists labored so intently for religious freedom, those in New England did not see the inconsistency of their doctrine when they appealed to Congress to govern over the publications of the Bible to assure they were correct. In 1790, Isaac Bacchus recorded in his diary that the Warren Association received a letter from the Committee of the Congregational Ministers of Massachusetts of Boston, quote, to move us to address the Congress about new editions of the Bible to see that they were correct, end of quote. The diary of Isaac Bacchus, edited by William McLaughlin, Volume 3, page 1295. In a footnote, McLaughlin supplied the following. It was taken from the minutes of the association. Dr. Stillman communicated a letter to the association, which he had received from the Committee of the Congregational Ministers of Massachusetts, informing him that they had presented a petition to Congress requesting their, quote, attention to several impressions of the Bible now making, re representing the importance of accuracy in these impressions, and earnestly praying that they would take such measures as the Constitution may permit, that no edition of the Bible or its translation be published in America without be it being carefully inspected and certified to be free from error, and request, requesting the concurrence of the Baptist interests throughout the United States in this matter, which is of the highest importance to all denominations of Christians, as they all appeal to the Holy Bible as the standard of truth. End of quote. McLaughlin's footnote continues. Upon due consideration of this matter, voted that we, the members of the association, feel ourselves under very great obligations to our reverend brethren for their early attention to the preservation of the purity of the Holy Scriptures. Voted, that is, the Warren Association voted, that Dr. Stillman, Mr. Backus, Mr. Smith, Mr. Baldwin, and Mr. Green be appointed a committee on behalf of this association to prepare and transmit a petition to Congress on this important subject. And then uh, McLaughlin commented on the footnote from uh, the information from the association. 
The petition was drawn and sent, the Baptist being as willing as the standing order to think of the United States as a, quote, Christian, that is, evangelical Protestant, state. Congress, they believed, had the right and duty to protect and promote evangelical Christianity for the good of society, and they assumed that the Bible was accepted as the source of revealed authority by all denominations. A few years later, the Baptists of New England even suggested that it would be perfectly proper for Congress to allocate some of the taxpayers' money for the support of foreign missions. Not even Baptists saw, excuse me, not even Bacchus saw the threat to religious freedom involved in assigning such powers to the legislature. Congress, of course, took no action upon the petition. But it was not the last time the Baptists cooperated with the standing ministers in seeking congressional enactment of religious laws. In 1828, both groups fought against Sunday mail delivery, and both sanctioned, after 1830, outlawing the Mormons and prohibiting the sale and manufacture of alcohol alcoholic beverages, pages 1295 and 1296. John Leland would not have agreed and was more consistent regarding the separation of civil government from religious involvement. McLaughlin said of him, next to Bacchus, the outstanding American Baptist exponent of the separation of church and state In the 18th century, Leland was associated with Jefferson and Madison in the fight for disestablishment of the Episcopal Church in Virginia. Like them, he spoke and wrote from a rationalistic Enlightenment standpoint so that his statement on the separation of church and state are less representative of the pietistic Baptist position than our Bacchus's. That's from the Diary of Isaac Bacchus, Volume 3, pages 1260-1261. That Leland would not fight against Sunday mail delivery can be seen from extract of a letter to Colonel R.M. Johnson dated January the 8th, 1830, and transportation of the mail, and extracts from a letter to Honorable R.M. Johnson, dated March the 29th, 1830, as found on pages 561 through 569 in the writings of John Leland, edited by L.F. Green. Also in the first document listed, that is, in the transportation of the mail, He further commented on Congress paying chaplains for their services rendered. Note the following. I am sorry the Congress have committed themselves by a precedent of giving their chaplains a legal reward for religious services. How preposterous the sound. A far-fetched construction supports it. The law of reason and revelation enjoined a reward to the laborer. But if Congress should reward the chaplains with their own contributions, 
it would look more like simple Christianity. The people at large have none of the devotion or instruction of the chaplain, nor any voice in electing him. Why then should they be taxed where they are not represented? The chaplain, who would not attend on request and trust to the promise of Christ and the benevolence of his friends for his his reward, without legal obligation, would be selling his prayers for money and turning the gospel into merchandise. The thing here spoken of is a small thing which the nation can never feel, but trace it to its root, and it contains that principle which is so pernicious in the world and is now used as a stirrup by the petitioners to mount the steed and ride down the people. Page 563. I apologize for the abrupt ending, but our time is up for today. Farewell. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Baptist Perspective. We archive our episodes so you can go back anytime and listen again. Do you have a question about something you've heard or just want to let us know you're listening? Visit us at baptistperspective.wordpress.com. That's baptistperspective.wordpress.com. Thanks again for listening.